welcome back to Movie Night. We haven't done one of these in a while, and while we're in the same place, we watched a movie while we were here. We did. We figured we'd do another one of these, since this setup was still here, and I'm, it's really going to hurt to break this apart. Yeah, because honestly, this is a very fun format. Yeah. I, I may, if I, there's ever a video where I have to be just me, I may put something like this together again. Mm. But we're here for now. Um... We watched Moulin Rouge, the movie version from 2001. Yeah. I think it was 2001. 2001 or 2002. It was early, early 2000s. Now, hmm? No, no, I was just going to say, now, Alicia's seen the live play. Yeah, the you've, more modern live play, because they have changed songs from what she told us. You've seen this film before. Yeah. I have not seen it either. Yeah. So I saw this movie back when I was in high school. Uh, mm. Somebody I was dating at the time. Liked musicals. Yeah. Very much liked this movie and showed it to me. And to be fair, this was the first musical outside of like Disney musicals that I actually was like, oh, I actually really like this. Um, but before we get into like some of the plot details, you want to start off, what are your, your thoughts and impressions? Just what did you think of the movie? Like <laughs> it? Dislike it? These are just sweeping statements. Sweeping statements before we get into the nitty-gritty. Okay, it started as an obscure French comedy, and it turned into a emotional train journey with which was a lot darker. Yeah. Um, I will say that I definitely had forgotten exactly how dark it gets very near the end of this this show yeah it always got a bit almost frustratingly dark but we'll get into that when we get to it i'm sure yeah they do play with your emotions a bit mm. so to start with the the general plot line is this uh englishman this young englishman decides he hears about the Obi-Wan bohemian kenobi. revolution what obi-wan kenobi obi-wan Ken- he's played by obi-wan kenobi um young obi-wan and so he hears about the Bohemian Revolution in France. This is like 1899, turn of the century. And he just wants to be a part of it. And the, the romantic ideals of it, what was it? Freedom, truth, justice, and love. Or something like that. Something like that. Yeah, I, don't, I don't know things. if justice was one of them. But freedom, truth, and love were definitely in there. Mm. And he's like, oh, love's the best one. The most important one. And he's got a stern father figure who's like, you're going to end up with some slut. That's not what he sounded like or what he said, but that's the sentiment. He said, yeah, he was warning her away from the Moulin Rouge. Yeah. Yeah, he's, he's saying he's going to spend his life with a can-can dancer and waste away. Because he was going to the... A particular part of... Was it Paris? I, it was in Paris, yeah. Yeah. yeah the Eiffel Tower is in the... Eiffel Tower is in several shots, yeah. so... Um, so he ends up in a, like, in a room, and it starts off and actually... A very, very dark and somber kind of tone because it's got a slow song playing and he's like kind of looking a bit disheveled and it's the year 1900 and it, he's sitting down in his typewriter and he's starting to recount the story of that mm. 1899 year when he got there. And um, so it gets in and he's like this young and ambitious and he wants to write his poetry and write his stories about truth and all this, this stuff. And, um, a lot of crap. Yeah. And he gets to the point where he's like, uh, he's about to start writing. He's like, but he's never been in love, so he can't write about it. And then a bunch of the way they phrase it is an unconscious, unconscious Argentinian fell through his ceiling. 
And um, this early part of the movie, these early scenes are very kind of like spastic and jumping all over the place and high energy and a little bit... It's quite Rocky Horror-esque. Which is why I'm surprised that I still like this movie. Well, I think I like this movie more for the second and third acts more than for the first one. Yeah. Because the first one is is very high energy, very all over the place, uh, very low attention span. But then when you get into like the romantic bits in the middle of the movie, they're, they're quite sweet and actually, you know, fun to watch. And you know, you're pulling for the main characters. And then in the end, there's quite a lot of, you know, tragedy there. Yeah. Which I, I always like a tragic story. Anyway, so, um, yeah, it turns out that these people are writing a play in the place above him. Uh, a play that they have dubbed Spectacular Spectacular. Yep. And they're going to be, um, they're having trouble. There's some creative differences because the Argentinian guy has narcolepsy. Like, he can't He's read his lines. Out, yep. Yeah. And so they have the English writer, you know, say his lines for him while they're practicing and it's clear that they haven't quite worked it out yet. It isn't really what they want yet. And this guy being a writer, he comes up with some inspiring words. And throughout the movie, one of the things they do in these songs, it's basically a mashup of songs from other musicals, other... Yeah. yeah. So the, the lines they're trying to figure out is... It's from The Sound of Music. Yeah, you know. the, the, that song isn't a mashup. It is. Well, that isn't a mashup, but that opening line is... Lifted right from the sound of music. Yeah, the um, the hills are alive with music. With the sound of music. Yeah, and that's the line he comes up with. And then the the writer gets angry that it, it was even suggested that this guy could co-write with her, and so she storms out. And so they're stuck with him. Does she ever come back? No, no. <clears throat> and um, so they they basically come up with a plan to disguise him as a famous English writer that they've brought in to do this. Yep. And they're going to get him a message with, like, the head courtesan at the Moulin Rouge, which is where they would be performing this. Um, and he panics a little bit because he's hearing his dad's words come back to haunt him. He's like, oh, God, I'm going to be stuck in the Moulin Rouge. They're already having me talk to a can-can dancer. Yep. Um, He'll, he just seems very swept away by it all. He does. He, he's one of those people who, like... He's the kind of person who would be like an adventurer in like older eras. Somebody who like gets swept up in the romance of the idea and then just goes out and either finds his fortune or gets completely fucked over by it. Yeah. He's also a bit... Naive? Secondhand, but uh, he, he would follow someone anywhere. Mm. But he probably wouldn't lead anyone there. Yeah, it's true. He, he, in the early parts of the movie, he's not a forge-his-own-path kind of guy. He has the adventuring spirit enough that he's willing to go to a foreign country with basically no money against the wish of his family just to pursue a dream. Mm. But he kind of is following other people to find that dream at the beginning of the movie. He doesn't have anywhere to go with it. Um, any idea in his mind where he's going to go. So he's hesitant at first, but they manage to convince him. And they have a little bit of a song and dance routine about that. And... Um, is the absinthe scene now, or is it? Absinthe? Yeah, they drink the absinthe yeah, to celebrate so to him se being. Yeah, to celebrate him being there, they drink absinthe. They see a fairy doing some kind of a erotic dance in front of them. Yeah, with an actress that I think I recognized. I she looked vaguely familiar, but it's hard to tell when she's completely green and tiny. 
So, anyway. But, uh, yeah, so the next day, they execute their plan. But as it turns out, the head, head guy at the Moulin Rouge, um, the guy that owns it, Ziegler, I think his name is. Okay, the um, ginger guy. The, the guy in the red waistcoat. The ginger guy? Yeah. Oh, sorry, I didn't hear ginger. Um, yeah, so he he's got he's lured in like a rich duke mm. who's there potentially going to invest because he wants to turn it from like a bordello like into an actual like proper theater playhouse yeah yeah and so but to do that it's going to require a lot of money so he's trying to lure this guy in and the plan is for the head uh courtesan there to seduce the duke and uh basically just bang him in their most luxurious apartments and convince him to invest and turn the place into an act, act a theater and mm. her into an actress. And a big elephant. The suite is actually inside a giant elephant. That is correct. Not a real elephant, like a ceramic building version of one that they've created yeah. like a suite inside of, which actually looked kind of cool. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's alarming how easy it is to break into it, but yeah, it's cool. That, that is true. People do tend to, yeah, throughout this entire scene. So there's this big opening musical number where they have all the different uh, Moulin Rouge courtesans coming out and dancing around. And Ziegler's doing his song and dance about, you know, what the place is like. And, oh, they're, they're here to please you and all that. Mm. Um, How much actual stereotypical cane canning happened? No, not really. I say stereotypical because I don't know exactly what the definition of can-can is. It's just, yeah, I know what it looks like in when I see it referenced in movies where they're up on stage and yeah. kicking and swirling skirts. Um, but yeah, hmm. then that scene cuts and the toque and the party of you know poets and playwrights are right next to each other but separated by a wall. And um, turns out that the one of the guys who's uh, a midget, what they call him in the movie, um, <clears throat> is there, and he's the one who's supposedly arranged a meeting for them to sell the idea. Yeah. And uh, I have no idea what contact they have. I, supposedly, Satine, the head courtesan, did yeah. know him because she, when she sees him, she recognizes him instantly. Okay. In the elephant. Um, but yeah, so the. Um, Oh, uh, what? So now Satine comes out, the head courtesan. She comes down and breaks into her own song and dance number. Yep. As she's you know going around and stuff, it's actually quite good. Um, and during that, Ziegler goes out to her, and they kind of descend into a uh, like a a wall of other dancers, so they can have a private conversation. Mm. And um, he tells her like who she's supposed to be looking at. And so he, because they're so close to each other, he's like, oh, it's the person that, and he sees over there that the, the midget is shaking, like, he's, he's gone over and he's spilled a drink on the Duke. And yeah. he's, so he's trying to like wipe him off with a handkerchief. He's like, oh, it's the guy, you know, what's his name is, is shaking a handkerchief at. And then by the time she spins around, he's run back over to borrow the Englishman's handkerchief. Yeah. And so she sees him. And so the, 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 it keeps going like that. Are A you comedy sure? of errors, yes. Yeah. And so she believes that the Duke is the young English writer whose name, for some reason, I cannot remember. I keep wanting to call him Obi-Wan. 
Uh, but yeah, uh, I can't remember his name either. Yeah, well, I, I'm really bad with names. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I I'm not that good with them either. S- strange the ones I do. The know. writer. Yeah, the writer. English, the Englishman, the writer. That's who we're talking about. So it gets to the end of her performance, and yep. you know she goes over to him, and she's like, "Oh, sorry, it's ladies' choice, and I choose him." And mm. So he's thinking, "Oh, this is how the meeting starts." And the Duke is still dealing with the guy who spilled a drink on him and doesn't really notice this happening. Oh, and he thinks he's there to talk to her about poetry. Yeah. He thinks he's there to read her poetry and show the quality of his writing to sell what the potential quality of this play is going to be. And um, she thinks he's the Duke and she's supposed to be up there seducing him. Yep. Cue a whole bunch of very misunderstood and awkward things happening in this elephant where... She's trying to make things more sexual, and he's trying to tone things down and just read the damn poem. Yep. Um, and it eventually culminates in a moment where he actually just says "fuck it" and bolts out in song, like the first few lines from a poet or from a song from the play that they're writing or what have you. Yeah. Which and this this musical sequence is really good. I didn't know Obi Wan Kenobi could sing that well. I imagine there was a lot of audio adjustment. There probably was. But, yeah. But it is quite good. Um, The one good time where that particular song was sung during the whole film, because it gets repeated a lot. It does. It does Um, a bit. Or bits from it. Snippets from it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and so she, like, ends up, like, actually falling for him. And then at the end of the song sequence, she's just like, I can't believe I've fallen in love with a rich, powerful duke or something like that. And he's like... I'm not a duke. <laughs> Excuse me. And then, yeah, and then that's when it's kind of revealed what, what's happening there. And the rest of the play team kind of, no, they don't charge in yet. Um, it's revealed what's happening there. And that's when the door opens. Yep. And Ziegler's right outside with the duke and the duke's bodyguard and cue another series of awkward... Well, no, he hides he, first. He hides, but that's what is seen when the doors open. That's, yeah. That's why he hides. Um, because they're right outside the door. And so, again, cue another series of very awkward things as he tries to get out of the room and she tries to distract the Duke. And um, then she eventually finds some excuse to kick the Duke out because, oh, she's inspired. She needs to wait or something like that. There, there's some contrived yeah. reason. It's it's all very awkward and silly still at this they point. Want to make a, she wants to make a play. Yeah. Yeah, no, he, he's inspired her. So they have to wait until she's ready or something like yep. that. And um, so he leaves and then... Uh, they start making out in the bed. They, they don't start making out in the bed. What happens is the English writer and her are having an argument. And that's when her... Because she has some kind of a sickness. It's established early on. She's like anemic. Oh, yeah. It's, at first, it's played off like it's some kind of anemia or something Probably like that. Probably because the it being... On yeah. just like crushing the air out of her. Yeah, she did have a tight course of being put on. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, so she faints. And then he um, he's trying to like move her around and get her onto the bed. Um, and that's when the Duke comes back into the room. Yep. He's like, oh, I forgot my hat. And uh, yeah, and then he's like, oh, is this what you meant by you needed to do something with inspiration? And she's like, oh, no, this is our new writer for the play. And he's like, you really expect me to believe that? And then 
that's when like the rest of the playwrights the charge in. Men. Yep. Yep. They all charge in and immediately start setting things up and like, oh, talking about the play and the one guy's tuning the piano and and the Duke's like, really, if this was an emergency rehearsal, you know, where's Ziegler? And that's right when Ziegler comes in. Yeah. Um, because he notices that all this is happening from a distance. He's spying on the elephant. Um, and then there's, again, QA, kind of a wink-wink between the Satine and Ziegler. Like, oh, he's going to invest. He likes this emergency rehearsal. Mm. And then they have to sing to him about the play. Yeah, which is a, a fun little... There Again, this is another one of those high-energy, low-attention span scenes. Yeah. Where it's a whole bunch of jumping and rapid singing and quick transitions. But it, in this scene, they essentially make up the plot for the play. Yeah, which is basically Aladdin. Yeah. It's basically Aladdin, and it's basically what is sort of happening to them in that moment. But in India. But in India. A Maharaja is trying to steal away this princess. Which I didn't think they needed. Because, like, he left her in the room with the elephant. Hmm. And so she could have just been like, well, we were in this room, so we were practicing in this room. Yeah. But no. No. Uh, anyway, yeah. It's, again, there's... I, I, I don't expect stories like this or musicals in general to have airtight plots they rarely do no i was certainly at this point in the film you're kind of just along for the ride yeah as you're introduced to a host of characters and the the madness as it was Mm. and this is this is i think where i would put the transition to the second part of the movie where it starts to be a little bit more reasonably paced and they're really focusing on the romance yeah it's the first part is japes to get you invested. The second part is like business. Hmm. And the last part is emotion. <laughs> yeah, that's a good way to put it. Because in the, in the second part now, what happens is they all go back. Um, the rest of the Merry Men, that's a good name for them, yeah. are all celebrating. They've got a bunch of the people from the can-can and everything up there. And they're all you know partying. Um, and then the writer is down in his room starting to like fiddle with his typewriter but not really writing anything and he keeps looking over at the uh, elephant and she's over at the elephant and she's still looking back at him looking back and then she looks over to his room and he's not there and he's like climbing up the back of the elephant cue like the third time this thing has been broken into yep in 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 the same night and um they have a bit of a back and forth where this is what I didn't like. I, I kind of like this one. I like the scene. Hmm. I hated the switching to a different song every line. Yeah, this this was the... I, I felt like they matched them up quite well, but I could see how that could be grating. Um, it's because they were very different songs. Yeah, but it was more... They played it off more like the songs being different lines of dialogue, so they weren't meant to be together. I don't know, the tempo and rhythm felt just off. It was, yeah, we're still in the stage where things were a bit all over the place, I'd say. Mm. But what happens is he's trying to convince her that, you know, um, you know, love is important and, oh, you know, was it really nothing when we, you know, earlier it's like, oh, it's so silly of me to think that you could have fallen for someone like me. And Which, she's by like, the way, he turns on a dime from never knowing what love is to professing his love and saying that this is true and nothing else can stop it. He he is a very... Like, he is the 
definition of a romantic. His character. Say bipolar. No, no. I was going to say romantic, where he just like, it's just all emotion, and that's what's driving him. Love at first sight. Yeah, and he's just so consumed by it Mm. that he's throwing everything else away. Well, throwing all caution to the wind, I should say. Most of the caution. I mean, he climbed up the ass of an elephant. He did climb up the ass of an elephant. <laughs> um, yeah, so then they, they they have this song back and forth where he's singing all these different lines from various love songs. Mm. And um, she's singing at first, like, uh, basically about how she can't fall in love. And he's like, the only way, you know, I think one of her lines is, uh, the only way you're loving me, baby, is if you pay a lovely fee. Mm. And uh, eventually, though, he wins her over through the course of the song. And then they're singing a duet where they're singing about them, you know, t- they're singing in sync the same yes. song. Um, and the scene is quite sweet. But I, I can, it may be nostalgia blinding me, but. It's sweeter without the music in this case. <laughs> I quite liked it. Um... So that's that scene. Yeah, I can't remember what breaks them apart. Uh, I think they just head back, like at that point. I don't think that there's anything that really breaks them apart. I think it was just, it, the scene just cuts. And right. it's now the next day. And I, oh, that's the transition. It cuts back to the midget sitting on top of a sign on top of their building, drinking oh, yeah. and kind of just singing to himself. Yeah, that was a bit weird. That was the, that was the transition, is yeah. it just fades out to him. Um. And then it cuts to the next day where Ziegler's negotiating the contract with um, Duke. Mm. And there's a bit of narration from the main character. By the way, just a quick thing. Sure. If I was fucking someone in the elephant, right? Yeah. I'd feel very self-conscious about the giant fucking window that leads out onto apartment buildings. Yeah, it's one of those things that you couldn't... Maybe need some curtains. Yeah. 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 You know what? Tip for the place where we stayed in Montana as well. That's true. Yeah, that place. Uh, yeah, no curtains in some of the, the well, no the biggest curtains. bedroom. Yeah. yeah. You guys had a great view. <laughs> of, of the golf course. Of the golf course. I yeah. say, buddy. What's going on? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. You guys um, are sleeping and a fucking ball goes through the window. Yeah. That's another thing. Why would you put... Go- anyway. Anyway. Yeah. Anyway. Back to Moulin Rouge. Back to Moulin Rouge. Uh, so there's this bit where the main character is like, oh, but Ziegler got more than he anticipated in the Duke. And they're having this negotiation yeah. of the contract. And the Duke is saying, you know, you're asking for quite a lot of money here. I'm going to need some collateral to insure things. And so he asked for a contract that binds Satine exclusively to him. Well, he says, I don't let other people touch my food. That's where he... That's that. That's the end of this. Because oh, okay. at first he's saying he wants the deeds to the Moulin Rouge until things are up and running mm-hmm. as collateral. And he wants a contract saying that she's bound to him. And mm-hmm. he's like, you know, I'm not, I'm not an unkind man. I'm not a reasonable man. And then he goes like he's like crunching his hat. And he's just like, I just don't like people touching my things. Yeah. And uh, Ziegler's a little freaked out. And he's just like... Completely understand. That was actually really good. I've seen the movie a few times. Yeah, yeah but the accent. Yeah. Um, yeah, and so he says that if anything goes wrong, if there's any funny business, and he points to his bodyguard, who's this big thuggish-looking bald mm. dude, he's like, uh, you know, he'll deal with you in the only language you underground, underground folk understand: violence. And uh, with that, the contract is signed. Ziegler hands over the deeds, and then they start construction on the theater. Yeah, jump. Well, montage. Yeah, there's a montage of 
uh, basically Ziegler constantly trying to um, seduce Satine. Well, when uh, maybe the theater changing. Well, changing into a theater. Yeah, well, they, they, they show it being, like, under construction. Is there a song here, too? I can't remember. I don't think there is. No, but the, the, it suddenly goes from being just a large dance hall to having a stage and seats and yeah, stuff Yeah, stage and seats, and they're putting in, like, electric lighting and things like that. Yeah. And um, the, the montage that goes on here essentially summarizes what's been going on throughout this thing. Ziegler he tries more and more to try and, like, sleep with Satine. Yep. And she um, finds more and more ways to avoid him. Yep, exactly. And he's he's to his credit, he isn't just like bang me now. He's like, Oh, we're going to dinner, we're going on a picnic, we're doing he's yeah. Putting some effort in. Yeah. Even though he technically in his mind owns her. He's he's not a good person, but he's also Well the only thing really stopping her from just being like, Look, I'm not not gonna be with you is the fact that he essentially owns the deeds to the entire yeah if, yeah she could in theory walk away but then she fucks over Ziegler she fucks herself over and she fucks the writer and everyone else over yeah and that's what's stopping her from doing it um but yeah and of course he he always the Duke always finds her and the writer together but the reason they're together oh no we're rehearsing we're practicing our lines oh yep. can't do this and uh, this goes on for quite a while until mm. I think they're God they're near the end of everything and I don't know if I think there's another musical number in here somewhere um, but oh I think it gets to the point where I can't remember if the the, the reveal of the movie's plot happens before or after oh you know no, no i know what this is the part of the movie i always forget Sorry. okay it does happen they're watching the play and watching the ending and one of the other courtesans who's you know say a bit yeah a bit envious a bit jealous bit of a bitch comes over and leans into the the duke's ears and she's like this ending's stupid you know why would the courtesan go with the penniless writer i mean the penniless sitar player oops like she just basically reveals that the plot is Hey, they're sleeping together behind your back and she doesn't love you. Yeah. And at which point he insists on the ending being changed. The writer gets angry and blurts out, she doesn't love you. And Satine kind of rescues it all by... Um, appeasing the Duke. Appeasing him, exactly. Um, I think I did skip the the... There's one other scene before this where he's demanding that, no, she has to come tonight. Um, and the writer also wants her to come that night, but she falls ill and this is where it's revealed that she has consumption, but Ziegler insists that she isn't told. Right. Um, but she, because she's sick that whole night, she never gets to go to Ziegler and she never gets to go to the writer. So they're both angry. Yeah. The Duke and the is, owner knows that she is going to die soon. He does. Yeah. But he doesn't want her told. No. Um, and he goes to appease Ziegler by doing a very awkward song and dance, the the song with the song uh, "Like a Virgin." Yeah, and um, which is just weird, but kind of funny. <laughs> kind of funny, yeah. Um, which starts off as kind of a light-hearted, jokey song, and then halfway through, it goes to 
switches the Duke taking a lead and it becomes a lot more sinister. It does. It gets a lot more... Um, and that's really the marking the beginning of the emotional sinister ending. It does. Yeah, this is this is where things start to... I think that's a good, that's a good point. That's where the transition happens when mm. things get a little bit darker. And there's a bit... There is one more song here in between um, the thing where the, the girl reveals the relationship and everything. And that's the, the morning after Satine goes to see the writer... And um, he's like, oh, where were you last night? And she's like, oh, you know, I told you I was sick. And he's like, you don't have to lie to me. Please don't lie to me. And um, then they have this whole song and dance. And I don't remember what the song actually is, but essentially it's her saying, no, we got to break this off. We got to end this. Mm. And him saying, no, no, we don't. You know, we can, you know, just we'll, we'll make up a song that, you know, whenever we sing it, it'll mean, you know, that we're when, thinking of the other person. Yeah. And it was um, come what may. That's the song. And so that's that uh, that line from that song is reused a few times just whenever they have like a, a tense moment um, and it kind of calms it down. But all that happens and that's when they're they're rehearsing the ending and that's when the other courtesan comes up, tells the Duke what's happening and then cue one of my favorite songs in the whole movie after this. So Satine finally to calm everything down and make sure it still happens she agrees to go with the Duke and let him seduce her and act like she's in love with him. Yep. And um, so they go up to his room. <laughs> Did you just slap the mic? A little bit. Yeah, so they go up to his room and there's this this tense like scene where they're starting like, you know, she's all dressed in like this beautiful black gown and he's putting a diamond necklace on her. Like a... Um morning attire it does have a, a very yeah it has um yeah it has like a widow-esque yeah widow kind of appearance to it so a lot of a lot of imagery there um but what's going on the song that's playing throughout this is the argentinian from the beginning who started out as a very much a comedic character mm. he he this is where he actually has his serious moment um he has a duet and a dance with the well he did he's the one singing but he has yeah. a dance with the writer with not the writer with oh, the, uh, the yeah the woman who who told the duke and uh, the it's the song is Roxanne which i think is by the band the police maybe but i'm not sure I, it was on rock band that's the only reason i know that but this version is called la tango or la tango de roxanne or something like that because it is a tango uh, that they're doing and a very different vibe to the whole song yeah it's much darker um, and he, it's, it's sung with like, he's got like a very guttural growly kind of voice to it. Yeah. And it's intercut with him. Like essentially the theme of the song is, you know, don't fall in love with a woman that sells herself for money or it's going to break your heart. And he's singing yep. it essentially to the writer. Um, and so he has like, the writer also has a bit of a duet throughout the song near the end where he's kind of broken hearted, wandering around with his emo coat flipped up and just, there's rain and dust blowing it's very 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 dark and kind of vibe to the whole thing yep and as near the crescendo of the song he's walking out the writer and he mm. looks up and sees in the balcony there is Satine. everyone lives in the exact same spot in the city yeah it's it, they're all in the, within like a block of each other so there's the Satine up there you know with the duke behind her and um He's still, you know, got his hands on her. Um, they're all still dressed at this point, if I'm not making that clear. 
Mm. Um, and I thought at this point that he was going to push her off the balcony. The Duke? Yeah. Oh, really? Because they both notice him down mm. below. She says, I don't want it. And then he, I thought the Duke was going to go... Yeah, but no, that doesn't happen. What happens instead is the Duke tries to force himself on her. Yeah. Uh, first, he rips off the diamond necklace, and then they chase her around. And it, it finally culminates where he almost does, but one of the other stagehands comes in and just bops him over the head with a club. Was that a sta- I thought that was her that did it, and then the stagehand came in. But No, think... no, it was, yeah, it was the, the big dude. And then, because I, I thought he was dead. Yeah. That's, and I, thought, I think you're meant to think that. And I thought, why didn't they make sure he was dead? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so he rescues Satine. They get her back, and um, the, what is it, writer man and her kind of, they get together, and she's like crying, like, oh, I couldn't do it, I couldn't do it when I saw you, and they, this is where they make a plan to run for it. Okay. It yeah, happens yeah. before what you're thinking. Yep, 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 yep. So, they, yeah, they make a plan to run for it, and like they say, you know, screw everyone else, like, we have to do, you know, we're in love, we're going to do what's right for us. We're going to run off into the distance. You don't have to live like this. And um, so she she goes back to her room to get her stuff. And Ziegler's already there. Because at this point, Ziegler and the Duke have met. And the Duke is still alive. He's getting his head patched up. And he's like, listen, the play will go ahead with my ending. Yep. And then afterwards, she is going to come to my room. Like, no questions asked. And Ziegler's like, he, he's essentially intimidated into saying, okay, he goes back and he's waiting in Satine's room when she no, gets no. back. And he says, this is what's going to happen. Or... Oh, yeah, or Big Man there. Is going to shoot the writer. Yeah, he's going to shoot... That's what it was. He was going to shoot the writer. Um, and so he goes back to talk to Satine and you know she explains that she's not staying there anymore and that she's blaming him for her being there and... Um, he tells her about the writer potentially being killed and reveals that she's dying all at once. And that's what finally convinces her like to stop. And she's like, just, you're a wonderful actress. Just convince him that you don't love him, that you never love him. The writer, yeah. The writer, yeah, sorry. And, you know, convince him of that, hurt him to save him. Mm. And so they go off and, or she goes off and attempts to do just that. Um... But I don't think it's that night. I think it's like the next morning or something like that. She goes to see him. Again, in the same black morning dress. Yep. And uh, and just essentially convinces him that, yeah, it was all just... It was nothing. You know, this is my job. This is what I do. I, I'm paid to convince men that, you know, I love them. Yep. And um, he's brokenhearted. He tries to get back into the Moulin Rouge at some point to try and talk to her again and gets thrown out in the rain. Mm-hmm. Um, the play's opening night is scheduled and everything's set to go. Uh, she's still having worse and worse fits, but, you know... There, oh, there's this whole scene, uh, The Show Must Go On. The song... Yes. There's a song sequence, The Show Must Go On. That was on. before she went to see him, I think. Yeah, I think it was before that happened, where they're all essentially singing about, you know... Um, like, despite this turmoil of everything else going on, well, literally, the show must go on. They, yep. You know, she's dying. She's brokenhearted. She's going to have to sleep with this guy she hates. Um, 
there's the looming threat that the whole theater could get shut down. They're not going to do the ending they wanted to that's against the themes of the revolution. And yet, it's their trade. It has to keep going, despite all that. Yep. So, cue the play, which actually is fairly decent production value. Um, they've got... you know, the, the costumes were cool. The lighting and stuff. I actually really liked... I would have liked seeing that play. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it just... It actually... The, the little bits of it that they did for the movie... Actually also, was, the dwarfs went to speak to the writer. Oh, that's right. Yeah, the dwarf went to speak to the writer and tried to convince him that... No, no, no. I'm, I'm sure of it. I'm sure she loves you. Mm. And that's just hurting him more and he didn't want to hear it. Um, but on opening night, you see him go and he pawns his typewriter to get a bunch of cash. And they talk about a scene. It's actually in the play earlier in the movie where the penniless sitar player goes to the courtesan and throws money at her feet and says, oh, I knew you never loved me or something like that. Yeah. And so it's implied that that's what he's going to do. And... Um, so he manages to sneak in, and he's sneaking around behind stage as the play is going on. And um, Baldy Assassin Man, Bodyguard Man, sees him and is chasing him with a pistol or following him with a pistol. First of all, the um, person who was playing the oh right, the um, Argentinian guy, Argentinian he, guy passes out. He passes out again and falls right next to the writer who yep. steals his costume as a way to sneak around. Yep. Bodyguard man spots him. I'm guessing just leaves him completely starkers. Probably. He does come out in his underwear later, I think. Is it in his underwear? Well, not his underwear. Like like Long John's, basically. Yeah. And so, um, bodyguard man spots the writer moving through and follows him. Mm. But can't get a clear shot because then he finds Satine and he's like... He's, he's shouting at him. He's like, you know, it's like, you say you men pay you to make them feel like you love me. It's like, well, you did a job. Let me pay you. Let me pay you. And so he's... Clear, broken-hearted, going crazy. Yep. Um, she just wants to, you know, get away because she doesn't want to like to lose the mask and have him see that actually this is hurting her too. And uh, they get to the, what is it? Oh, that's when the stage opens. Like they they end up in this one spot. She faints, and that's right when the stage doors open. Yeah. And she was supposed to be coming out there to go to the Madaraja. In this scene. Um, and of course, Baldy Man, who was about to shoot him, immediately pulls back because they would have seen it on stage. And um, the cast and crew have to improvise things a little bit. And uh, Ziegler does some line about like, oh, you've shaved your beard, but you are clearly still the same penniless sitar player. And um, I... Writer boy does exactly what he came there to do, throws the money at her feet, and just goes walking off the stage and out of the theater. Yep. And Ziegler trying to keep the play going, just is like, ah, you see, he never loved you. See how he flees the kingdom. And then she fucks it up. Yeah. Yep. She decides, you know, no, I can't, I can't have this. I can't live with this. And yep. so she starts to sing the Come What May song. Hmm. And then he hesitates at first and then turns around and returns it to a duet and they start singing it together. Yep. And um, this is where, like... And then they eventually they do the actual end of the play, essentially. And uh, this is where the bodyguard is still trying to move through the, the cast and through the crowd. And he's, yeah, to shoot him on stage, in yeah. the middle of the stage. Yeah, he was, he was trying to like shoot at him like kind of clandestinely. Like he was moving through the band with a tambourine, which I thought was kind of funny. Yeah. 
was like, um, uh, honestly, an odd time to add in a bit of comedy because there hadn't been comedy for or since for a very long time. No, it was like just one final joke. It it was a it wasn't exactly jarring, but I do feel like it was a bit out of place. Yeah, consider or maybe it was just to give you one last emotional up before bam, yeah, back down again, because. What happens is eventually the gun gets flying out in the crowd. Ziegler gets it, but... Oh, sorry, not Ziegler. The Duke gets it. The Duke gets it. And he goes running up like he's going to shoot him himself. A room full of people. Yeah. And there's a guy running down the room with a gun. And they're like... Yeah, whatever. It's part of the show, right? It's one of the audience members. And they're using a tool that was not invented at the time of the play. Fair. Actually, that's a, that's kind of a good point. This was supposed to be in ancient India. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I think Ziegler punches him in the face, and that's what stops him. Yeah. And um, curtains fall, everyone cheers, and as the curtains fall, Satine faints, and she's... This is her, like, death throw. And that's where I thought she'd been shot. I actually... I couldn't... When we were watching it, I couldn't remember if she got shot in the end. Or mm. if... It wouldn't have mattered either it, way. I mean, she was about to die. But, yeah, so it was like, they have this moment of triumph. He's like, oh, she does love me. I finally have her. And then she's gone. Yep. And, like, her last words to him are something along the lines of, you know, don't forget me. You know, write down her story or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what... There's this very heartbreaking scene with him there just holding her, mm-hmm. you know, as she dies. And meanwhile, they pan out and the audience is all standing ovation and cheering. Yep. And it reminded me of a line that Ziegler had earlier in the movie. Of uh, He said something like, just another, um, just another backstage tragedy or something like that. I, I can't, that's not the exact quote. But he was implying that like, just to, for that show to happen, there's a, a million different sacrifices and tragedies that happen behind the scenes. Yeah. Um, was there actually ever any... Thing that happened to you, to the Duke? No, I think that's because they show in the. He just fucked off, didn't he? In, in the, well, in the 1900 cuts, the Moulin Rouge is closed down in gray. So the implication, I think, is that, yeah, he took the deed and clo- shut it down himself. Oh, so he won. Yeah, in a way. He never I mean, had to sleep with her, but. Yeah. True, but no, the, the other guy. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's one of those things. I mean, the theme of the movie, in a lot of ways, or one of the big themes is that, you know, it's worth it to pursue love over everything, but everyone who worked at that playhouse and Ziegler himself, they lost everything. They lost their jobs, they lost their property, they lost... And in theory, the Duke would have still put the bounty on the writer's head. In theory, the, the, the writer did live. That's the one thing that he didn't doesn't seem to have done, is to finally kill the writer. Like he, well, he doesn't at that point in the film, but... Well, yeah, maybe in 1901 he shoots him. Because he said if, you know, if she goes off with him, then he's dead. And he, the Duke didn't know about the illness. So what does he care if she yeah. died suddenly? I mean, it's it's possible. Um, it's possible that it, it happened. But the, it's heavily implied that the Duke did shut down the Moulin Rouge. Because it's all, like, closed off and boarded up in grey in the 1900 mm. scene. Um, what was in the 1900s scene? It's the beginning of the movie and the end of the movie. Where, because remember, he's these are all like the, the writer's memoirs. Like he's writing down the story oh, yeah, yeah. and everything. The year after it all happened. Yeah. The, the movie opens on like I, th- I think it's like in New Year's in 1899. Saying about the story, yeah. Yeah. 
Um, they're, they're never like 100% clear on how much time has passed. Uh, but yeah, so the movie does end on like, not, I wouldn't say a hopeful tone, but a bittersweet tone. Like there's a little bit of, there's a spark of hope in there. Cause I'm not even sure there is a spark of hope. There's, there's a little bit cause the writer has, this is why I say bittersweet. Cause if you think about it, the writer came to Paris to be part of the Bohemian revolution, but he couldn't write anything cause he'd never been in love. And then he got into love and then lost it in the most tragic way possible. And that's when he could write his story. And so he wrote the entire story of essentially what had just happened about the person he loved and lost and everything else. Quite a tragedy. <laughs> it is. And what, it's probably one of the reasons I still really like this. You do movie. like the tragedies. I do yeah. like a tragic story. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, well, so now we've gone through it. Um, what do you think? Any, any points of discussion? Any thoughts you have? Well, so while we were watching it, the film I could most identify... The, the most similar film I could think about when watching it was The Phantom of the Opera. Yeah, actually. Except, ironically, The Phantom of the Opera ended happy. The Phantom of the Opera had a happier ending than this one. Yeah. Despite the overly ecstatic opening in this. Despite the fact that throughout the whole film of The Phantom of the Opera, it was pretty... Dark. Dark, yeah. Yeah. Um... This this one is much more of a an emotional roller coaster, I'd say. Yeah, a lot more color, a lot more jokes. Yeah. Um, I can't tell if like. Um. Yeah, there are a couple of really good songs. Roxanne was one, and Show Must Go On. Those two were just amazing. Yeah, the Roxanne is one of my. I. It's funny. I heard that song before I ever heard the original. Yeah. And when I heard the original, I was like, man, this isn't nearly as good as the one in that movie. Um, but yeah, oh, and also the one when they were dancing across the rooftops at the beginning. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The one before she knows he isn't the Duke. Yes. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Um, ooh. Performances out of 10. How many performances out of 10? Um, I mean, I'd give this, I'd give it a solid 8, honestly. Like, I like, I liked most, if not, I liked all the music, and there were a few that I really loved. Mm. Um, the opening the thing that prevents it from being higher than that in my mind is the opening bits where it's all like high paced and stuff like that it gets a bit grating on me but it doesn't last long enough for it to hurt the movie in my mind it's just not something that appeals to me really Um, but the whole second two thirds of the movie I loved Uh, I would say seven and a half okay a little bit lower a little bit lower, because it, it, for a start, it feels like a film you need to watch. Yeah. It has that kind of gravitas behind it. Um, the music was really good. The story was pretty damn good, but it annoyed me where there were so many back and forths where, where they're making drama where no drama needed to be. Yeah. They should come up with a proper reason why people were doing things some way as opposed to just because you... Because you knew it caused drama when a decision was made. Yeah. Yeah, um, I think... Yeah. Part, part of the thing, my thinking is, I forgive some of those points in this because the movie is supposed to be such like, you know... Um, 
what is it? Just a blind romance. Yeah. Where these people are, or they're not acting rationally because they're being so completely ruled by emotion. Mm. I really liked the dwarf character. He was good. Like, he was basically the... Um, Oh, what's the the phrase there's there's some like he was an eccentric cupid yeah exactly he was he was there to kind of like be he was a supporting character for almost everyone else in the movie yeah like he was he was the connecting force between almost everything else that was he was happening. the baboon in the lion king he was rafiki rafiki he, he hits the writer on the head with the stick and tells him look at the stars that's when he went to it. He's like, she does love you. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I can see it. Asantizana squash banana. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. That is, a, that is an amazing comparison. I'm not going to be able to unsee that. All right. Uh, well, that's pretty good. So seven and a half and eight. Um, I, yeah. I was glad to watch it again the whole way through. Mm. I've, I've kind of had it on in the background before, like in recent times, because it's a movie I've seen before and just listening to the music is nice. Yeah, music. This is the first time I've really watched it the whole way through in years. Mm. So. Recommend. Uh, but yeah, this is going to be the end of whatever episode of Movie Night this is. <laughs> You've really dropped the ball on episodes. Wait, so normally when we film these things, I have my notebook in front of me and I have notes and I have usually pages of notes on the movie. Yeah, okay, so who's pointing out that on our monitor here... Literally notepad is I, up on the screen. And it, it just says Moulin Rouge and the rest of it is blank. Yeah. <laughs> We're professionals here, folks. Oh, yeah. All right, this is going to be the end. Thanks for watching, and hopefully you'll tune in again soon.